Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and I don't suck, and neither does the Pipples podcast, but anyone who plays the Riders, they suck. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Let's go, Rider Nation. This is the Piffles Podcast, your premier Saskatchewan Rough Riders podcast, the podcast which doesn't suck. My name is Alex. I'm Steve. And or should I'm I say confused. I'm back? I'm confused. Who is this part-time person? <laughs> That's not your basement, though. Where are you? I am in the Birmingham metropolis of North Battleford. Wow. Yeah. Home, home of the great Josh Hunt. We've, uh, we've gone through there a few times. Can't say I've ever stayed there, though. I don't know why anyone would, but that's beside the point. Because uh, <laughs> it's halfway. That's a, that's about it. Uh, it's in the Bon Jovi spot. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> give us a follow on Twitter at PipplesPod. You can give me a follow at RealAlexD. You can find me at Sapamod. And once again, I do not need nor want <laughs> your pity follows at Greg on Sports. I'm honestly curious if you have gotten more or less followers than the two of us since you started doing that. I don't know. I think people do it out of spite anyway, because they don't <laughs> listen to me. They should. <laughs> Piffles podcast brought to you by our friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. And we're a proud member of the CFPN, the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Time to talk some football. Let's get to the opening kickoff. All right. So the big riders win 41-20 on Saturday afternoon against the Montreal Alouettes. Before we get into the second half and how great that second half was, that first half, oh, that game, that's that second half, or sorry, that first half was exactly how I actually imagined that whole game going. It should have been a Riders blowout to begin with, just going into the game, and it was anything but. And it was just sloppy. It was ugly game from both sides. That... Oh, I don't know how you guys stayed awake through it because that was just bad football. I yelled at the TV a lot. I was out at the lake at my parents' cabin. Um, my dad's a bomber fan, so he just kind of has to put up with whenever rider games are on. And I'm just like yelling at the TV. And part of it was because it was an Al Bradbury game, and I swear to God, he gets paid by the flags. But it, that first half, I was angry. I, it was bad. It was it was sloppy. It was like no, not again, not again. Because yeah, it looked like they were starting off the way same way they did in Montreal. You, you stole my thunder a little bit there. I uh, you were yelling at the TV. I was just yelling at Al Bradbury. There was nothing else exciting about that football game other than how much I hate that man. There, I don't know if there's anybody on this planet that I despise more than Al Bradbury. Who was it's, it? It's was just, it? I, I think it was Joel Gasson who uh, tweeted, or Three Down Nation, who tweeted out, Al Bradbury is the ref that you think Andre Pru is. Yeah. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, just all the penalties. Like, it's bad enough the riders are undisciplined as they are, taking 14 or 15 penalties again for, like, 150 yards. But you compound that with, with Al Bradbury, who throws a flag every, like, four plays. 
which just ruins the flow of the game. It's wow. just. I had to bad. laugh. Even the even Montreal's media and fans were upset that it was Al Bradbury, just for the simple fact that Bradbury's known to throw a lot of flags. Like he's, it's the only crew that has two ejections due to the unsports, uh, unsportsmanlike conducts. And they just both happen to be on Bradbury games. So watch for the next one. I guarantee you there's probably going to be unsportsman likes in that game as well. I, I learned on uh, the day after the game that Twitter's whole uh, misinformation campaign is definitely over because they used to flag tweets that had misinformation in them. And I saw somebody say, I honestly think Al Bradbury's a good ref. And that tweet is still there. So <laughs> I, I learned that uh, that Twitter's done with that. Well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just happy you found out Al Bradbury's a burner account. <laughs> right. Apparently he's a Ryder fan. I believe, well, he's, he's, from, I believe he's from Prince Albert. Yeah, he's a, he's a Saskatchewanian. He's an idiot. <laughs> well, let's, let's get to the second half because that's where all the good stuff was. Obviously, the adjustments made by Jason Moss and the offense – they, I mean, look at their touchdown drive in the first half. It was running the ball. It was shorter passes. It was quick passes anyway. Um, and they just got chunk yards after chunk yards. Fajardo let the play, the, the skill players, the playmakers make plays. And that's how we started the second half. It was run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, throw it to the outside, get guys going laterally and, and using the speed. And I thought that was brilliant from Jason Moss. I've, I've had a lot nice, a lot of not nice things to say about Natai Rogers over the last few weeks. But if you notice through that game, a lot of the, the runs in the second half were heading his way. If he can learn to get his holding and, and penalties under control, he's a damn good run blocker. Because a lot of that stuff was, was over on his side of the field and he was in control. Alex, I feel like I need to correct you. Uh... According to people on Twitter, Jason Moss should be fired, and he, uh, anything that has happened in the second half had nothing to do with Jason Moss. So that is what is being said on Twitter. So I believe it because it is on social media. No, yeah, no, Moss. No, Moss totally came in and made the adjustments they needed to do. Morrow looked great that second half. Um, obviously, that offensive line plays better right now uh, as run blockers than they do as pass blockers. Um, and Natai Rogers. He looked better in some aspects, but that first half, he had a rough one. And he's, he's that type of player that plays that line where he actually got he got lucky in a Bradbury ref game that he didn't get more penalties. Because um, uh, I was watching the highlights again on the CFL's uh, YouTube feed, and there's one where you can see him jump on a guy and just jam his head into the ground. And he's lucky he didn't get called on that one because it was well after the play. If, if you ever watch him, after any long play, it is incredible to watch how intense he gets. At like five yard run, and he's sitting there flexing like the Hulk, losing his mind. After a touchdown, he's just he's the last guy off the field because he's flexing the whole way down. I I, I don't want to go as far as to say like road roid rage type uh, type of rage, but that like that's the type of like intensity he was uh, he was showing. Well, some guys need that to to get jacked up. Other guys don't. So, I mean, if it works for him, great. But again, goes back to the point of God. He's, he has eight penalties yeah. in four games, and four of them are unsport. Three or four of them are 
unsportsmanlike conduct. Well, he definitely got one last game, and he got that one where he uh, decided to grab his package. Yeah, yeah. So So he that that's the stuff. Like, I don't mind the odd hold because (laughs) yeah, there's there's holding holding on every play, right? The you know a false start. Okay, sure, that stuff is is correctable, but it's all the extracurricular stuff that he's doing like that needs to tone down and it goes back greg we talked about discipline last week with craig dickinson he needs to get on these guys whether it's bench the guy for a series or whatever i know it's kind of hard to do that with an offensive line to keep that that line intact but i don't know like i i I don't see anything special out of the guy like at this point i'd rather see an american receiver come in at, at tevin jones starting and have Jamal Campbell get, get a shot at right tackle. Because why not? He couldn't be any worse than a Ty Rogers honestly has been, except for this second half where he actually was pretty decent. Well, he can't be any worse at pass blocking than a Ty Rogers because Ty Rogers on a pass block is usually a turnstile. But, hey, I'm just glad we're not throwing punches on our sidelines. <laughs> to me, he's the modern-day uh, – what was, what was his name? Charles. Tom, Charles Thomas. Yeah. Number 53 back, uh, you know, 20 years ago for the Riders. Just a turnstile at times. But getting back to these adjustments and, and the running, this, this is why I think it was brilliant from Jason Moss. Because if you watch the first half, is a lot of trying to set up deep balls and longer running routes, like just longer developing plays. The O-line wasn't holding up. Fajardo was in pressure the whole time. So Moss made that adjustment to know where, okay, Montreal is going to be just coming right up the middle all the time. So let's get it out quick. And that's what works. And, and now that it's on film for other teams to see, I wonder if that's still going to be the game plan going forward, because it should be because with this offensive line, they just don't, they're not good enough to have long plays. And when you look at the, there was the, Long pass, the pump fake to Duke Williams. He was gone. He was wide open. He was five yards behind his defender going to for a touchdown. But Cody Fajardo couldn't, like, he didn't have enough time. He was rushed to on step the up in the pocket. Yeah, to make the throw. Like, there was, there's pressure there. And that's why that ball was so underthrown. Like, Cody can make that throw. I'm not, like, you know, I have nothing bad to say about Cody in, in that, that aspect. But, like, just doesn't have the time. And if you can't step into the throw, you get these lame duck throws that he, that he has. And it all of a sudden, what should be a pretty much guaranteed touchdown pass is a 50-50 ball. So Jason Moss did realize that, okay, what we're doing clearly isn't working. He made the adjustments. Montreal didn't. I don't know how they didn't figure it out after the second drive uh, by the riders in that second half. But it was very clear that they're just going to do quick plays. And it worked. But also with Cody's uh, mobility issues right now due to his knee, you need you need to have that running game run through the running backs. And I know Jason Moss is not known for it, but that that's when you also bring in KSB on those sweeps or those bubble screens. Uh, like Prawl, that screen of Prawl looked pretty good too. Like, yeah, get 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 it out quick, and then you can build off of those short plays. So. I think hopefully going into this game, they maybe do it in reverse. You start with the short plays and see if you can open up that field. So Cody can get those deep balls to a guy like Duke, if he's good enough to go this week. Well, I I was reading somewhere that uh, Fajardo completed one pass over 10 yards, the entire game. 
and it was the very his very first completion of the day. After that, nothing over ten yards. You're right. He doesn't have the time. What do you, What do you do? Well, just feed KSB, feed Schaefer Baker. We were saying it uh, the last couple of weeks. Just give this guy the ball all the time. Target him 15, 20 times a game. This guy is a stud, and he's not getting the the respect by other defenses that he should be getting because he should honestly be getting your probably top defensive back on you. I know you have Duke Williams and that's a, you know, big time receiver right there. So you're going to put your best defensive back on him, but you got to put somebody really good on Schaefer Baker. Cause this guy, that, look at that touchdown run. He had no business staying in bounds. He should have been out. That should have been a, a five, six yard gain at the most, but he got around that edge. And it was a great block by Duke and a great block by uh, Justin McInnes mm-hmm. to uh, to spring that. And great job by Schaefer Baker to keep the balance and stay in bounds and get that touchdown. But there's no way that should have been a touchdown. But this guy's a stud. Like, use him now because guess what? He's if Braden Linnaeus is getting a, an NFL exactly shot. Exactly what I was about to say. KSB's gone. There's there's no way he's here next year. He's in the NFL for sure. Uh, Linnaeus will be here and Schaefer Baker's might be in the lineup. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, KSB is awesome. Like the amount of film last year, like why aren't why aren't teams catching on after last year? Like he was a bona fide stud last year. He was my if I had a vote, my nominee for top Canadian on the Riders because he was that good as a rookie, and apparently no one paid attention because he's not getting the looks he should be getting from the defense. I'm sure that's about to change, but especially if Duke's down in Shaxo for a while. On the flip side, when that entire receiving core gets healthy in, you know, 2026, and you've got Duke Williams, <laughs> Shaq, Karan Moore, and KSB, who who exactly do you cover with your number one and two guys? Because, I mean, Karan Moore is going to be your number four guy, but that's that's – I put that up against anybody. Hell, Tevin Jones looked pretty good in the limited, limited action he saw. Now, so yeah. I yeah like uh, our, our receiving core I'm not cons- any concerns other than injury problems right now. <laughs> well, and, and Mitch Picton we uh, I know we we ragged on him a little bit Pickett. last year as well, but like he was he's solid. He's been he's got two touchdowns, which is tied for the team lead, um, and important touchdowns too. So he's the new Dan Farthing. But you have a guy like that that can step in, and and he's getting he got Duke Williams. Um, practice reps on uh, Tuesday with uh, with Duke sitting out. So he's getting those number one reps again. And if he can show that value, and, and I mean, I don't think anybody's really expecting him to light it up. I think that's an unfair, you know, ask of, of a young receiver like that. But if you're going to get 40 yards a game out of him and, and get the touchdown every second game or something like that, like whatever, that's that's very good. And I've been actually quite impressed with him in the starting lineup for these last couple of weeks that he's been in. He's that young Canadian receiver, local kid. That's going to be your third, maybe fourth guy on your depth chart, but he's going to come every day. He's going to come to practice. He knows what it is to wear the rider logo on his helmet. He's, he's this generation's Chris gets Like he's going to be that guy that probably is never going to play anywhere else unless something goes really, really funny. And he's going to be in the Plaza Honor someday if he keeps on keeps on going the way he is. And I uh, just want to make a note on uh, Brett Lother also uh, missing uh, 
uh, practice here has a broken hand apparently. Um, and I was reading Ryder fans before this, and I was telling Greg before uh, we started recording the show here that Ryder fans, the forum just all of a sudden changed and flipped on Brett Lotha. This is a guy who nails 57 yard field goals with 10 yards to spare. Like they're nothing. And all of a sudden people are saying, well, just wrap it up. It's fine. Or, or like, just, I don't know. There was a lot of weird comments, negative comments towards a guy who's been absolutely phenomenal for the riders in his, in the last few years. And honestly is one of the reasons why they're a good team. Fun thing about kickers, and I joke all the time that kickers aren't people. I don't think that by any means, but everyone thinks they can kick a ball until they actually have to. One of my favorite things about the Piffles Bowls when we ran them was the field goal competitions because it was the saddest thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> it's a bunch of guys lining up thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to nail this, and they can barely make a 20-yard chip shot. Kicking a ball, it, like it's not easy, people. Look at what Boris Beattie did the other night, or I guess last night uh, from the night we record this. An extra point, and he completely shanked that. Like that was a coffin corner convert. Like it was way in the corner. Like it's not easy doing that under pressure when you've got guys coming down on you, and to do it from that distance, that consistently that Lothar does. Like we are lucky to have him. So. Yeah, it sucks, but if he's dinged up, like we need him to heal. Fortunately, we've got a guy that can kick all three phases in Vedvik. Um, and I'm assuming that's why they went and got Jimmy Smith back <laughs> off the rental. Uh, they told Calgary your rental fees up, so that way they can give Vedvik a break in the punting aspect, or just have an extra leg on the bench, I guess. But yeah, no, you you want Lothar healthy down down the stretch. You you don't want to risk not having him in your lineup I, i'm looking back at those piffles bowls and it, if i remember correctly there was usually maybe one or two guys who could make a field goal let alone kick it with any kind of distance in in three years i don't think i hit a single one including in practices I I, I, I I wasn't dumb i didn't even try i i wanted to, i've always wanted to kick a field goal it seems like something that'd be fun to be able to do once and i'm hoping one day i i'll be able to do it but like Respect where where it's earned. Brett Lothar is, is the best kicker in the league. You you need him to be healthy. You need him up there. Uh, you know they need to give him that uh, the cast, and he can, he can throw some tackles the old fashioned way if uh, if he has to with that cast on his hand and get out there and boot the ball. Well, he does have that calf injury, so we'll see how that uh, how that shakes out through the week. And and I mean maybe you do have to sit him because I know next week. Touchdown Atlantic, he's going to push to play that game. Regardless Nothing will of keep him away from that game. Yeah, regardless of how him. injured he is, he's going to push for that to he's, play. So maybe you keep him out of this game against Ottawa coming up. He'll he'll, he'll roll out there in a wheelchair trying to kick a field goal. <laughs> he's That'd not missing amazing. the game. In, just in like Nova rolls Scotia. up and just kind of, he'll pass the ball straight on him. kick. And I would trust him to make it because he is right? the best kicker in the league. Um. We haven't talked about the defense yet, though. Pete Robertson, Anthony Lanier II getting uh, top performers number two and three of the week. As uh, as, as the well, I I wouldn't say two or three, but the, 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 those can't, those can't, those can't be in order of importance. But jeez, can like these guys are not getting. We talk about how Pete Robertson's not getting the uh, the national 
you know, respect he deserves for being the league leader in sacks and was second last year to AC Leonard and Anthony Lanier not getting the respect on the inside that he deserves because he's been fantastic all the game, all the all season long. He's been fantastic. He was pretty good last year, but he's really stepped it up this year. And this D line, I mean, we knew, and <laughs> this is a broken record, but we knew that they were going to be good going in, but they've sur- surpassed absolutely anything that we could have wanted from them this year. They're just crushing it out there. Another six sacks plus the, the forced fumbles and the fumble recoveries. They're just, they're monsters out there. And these two guys, especially this week, massive props, Pete Robertson, Anthony Lanier, the second, just dominating. Well, when you, when you go into a season, you lose Woodard to the chiefs, you lose Micah Johnson to where did he go? Hamilton. We knew our D line would be good, but, I didn't expect them to be better than last year at all. And, I think that, go ahead. And for, and for what they're doing over the first four weeks of the year, I mean, this is their second game with over six, with six or more sacks. They're, they're absolutely dominating the sack race and it's coming from all four, from all four positions and not, it's not just one or two guys. There is constant pressure in the backfield and you know, how how many weeks are we going to do this? We're just going to be, it's it, like you said, broken record next week. We're going to be talking about how awesome the D line was again this week and how great insert player here was with three sacks or it, you know, it's just, it's just what we've come to expect anything less than four sacks. And I'm going to feel disappointed. Well, I, I want to say, I, I knew we were going to be good because uh, I, I believe I said it, <laughs> but no, seriously though, you, you look at it, you got, you got AC Leonard, you got Marino, you got Lanier, you've got um, Robertson. Plus, you combine that with our three um, linebackers with Dean, Moncrief, and Sankey. What, what, who has a better fr- front seven on the defense than we do? Like, you can, make the, you can make the argument Winnipeg. So, like, yeah, they got some good players there, but they don't, they're not seven strong. Like, our front seven is scary good. And our DBs are coming to their own too. Like Adam's probably one of the best safeties in the league. Milligan is playing above his station. Like that dude also is not getting the props he deserves. Zeros everywhere on that field. My well, what do you have? What do you have? Ten guys out there lighting it up. How do, or eleven guys? Twelve guys. Let's try this a third time. Twelve guys out there lighting it up. Who do you give the props to? But my Jason favorite Shivers. Yeah, Sh- oh, <laughs> there you go. He he's he, he he gone. I'm sorry. Like Jason Shivers' time in this on this team is soon as someone can scoop him up, he's gone because he's that damn good. But and the cool thing about this is that he even calls it himself. Uh, Shivers says it himself. This is a positionless defense. One of the coolest plays that they did. I on one. I think it was on the fumble. Uh, Lanier was outside. AC Leonard was on the inside. And that what's that's what forced the sack and caused the fumble to come out right into Robertson's hands. Remember, uh, was it Gary Echeverry's defense, which was absolutely wild? And you'd have uh, your nose tackle was Kiwana Jones. Like he played a positionless defense, if we're talking about it. But this is something completely different than that. We're not putting a, a guy who's barely six feet, two hundred twenty pounds at nose tackle, right? But like. He's got guys that can play absolutely anywhere. And you're seeing this with just, they're getting athletes. They're getting just guys that can go. 
and put him wherever and confusing the offense because you have no idea if Keon uh, Adams is a backup player. Like he could be a starter in this league. Like you can rotate him D line or linebacker. Like it doesn't matter. Like they find ways to rotate guys through this defense. It keeps everybody fresh and, and Shivers is doing a phenomenal job with uh with the defense. Um Greg, you alluded to it. The Riders uh, making that trade with Calgary for punter Jimmy Smith, giving back the uh, third-round global pick they got from Calgary for Jimmy Smith um, after training camp. So the way that it worked out, the Riders got a um, seventh pick, seventh-round pick for four games rental of Jimmy Smith and got him back. Like I said, last time I saw a rental that good, I got a free bag of popcorn. It was called Blockbuster Kids. Look it up. But, like, yeah, no, like, like I said, we need an extra leg if Lothar's not good to go. So this is best thing for the riders. And it uh, sounds like Grace is back for the Stamps. So Stamps didn't need another Aussie punter on the roster. And and Jimmy Smith wasn't bad in Calgary. He averaged almost 45 yards a, a punt. He's a He's a decent emergency kicker. And it's not like Vedvik Vedvik has been lighting it up at the punt spot. It seems like he has a boomer followed by a shank followed by a boomer. He uh, he needs to find that consistency. Well, there's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Roy LePage Regina Realty. Let's jump to the Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones. Uh, take a look around the league on a couple things. And uh, I want to start with the Chris Edwards suspension being reduced um, from six games down to three games. Of course, this was uh, the Toronto Argonauts uh, defensive back who got suspended for fighting fans in the stands uh, after their East final loss to Hamilton last season. And um, basically he was, yeah, I did it. And I'm really sorry. So the league's like, oh, okay, really? Cool. Well, let's just reduce your suspension. So all of a sudden he's going to be able to play next, the next two games against the Riders in, uh, you know, their next, because Toronto's on, on the bye week this week. So next week and the week after against the Riders in those back-to-back games, he'll be able to play that. And I just found it really funny that it, it's such a Canadian foot, Canadian thing, Canadian football league thing. Well, as long as you write down that you acknowledge that you did this, and say you're really sorry, we'll cut your suspension in half. And that's exactly what happened. This is, it's an absolutely terrible precedent. You had, a, you had a guy going into a fan area, throwing haymakers, and you, and you come down and cut that suspension in half? Three games for you, throwing bombs at fans? You didn't see that coming? I did, but it doesn't make it any less stupid. Like look at look at what happened with Jonathan Rose in the Grey Cup, like with that with that entire thing in like was it 2018 2019, like he never should have been able to play, and then he appealed it, got it got it pushed off his suspension off till the following season, and then they just like eh whatever he learned his lesson like like this this was exactly what was going to happen. There was no way in hell it was going to be six games. I'm surprised they didn't just go you know what you're good. But technically, I guess that's what they did because he's going to be available to play next week. And to say this guy is sorry, this is a guy that regularly you you watch him. He's always beacon at the fans, flipping off fans. If any player in the league was going to be the one to be throwing haymakers at fans, if you gave me one name, I would have picked him before this happened. 
it, they should have kept it at six. I know, like you, like you said, it was not much of a surprise, but just a terrible precedent. My favorite part about this whole press release that they sent out, that the league sent out about this, gave us finally in writing that, um, or what the CFL CFLPA fan code of conduct is. So we heard about this in negotiations where uh, all of a sudden there's a code of conduct for fans, which was negotiated in the CBA, which blows my mind. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't asked about this. Nope. I didn't. I tried rep. contacting my rep and he still hasn't gotten back to me yet. So yeah, like I wasn't, I wasn't pulled about this that, Hey, if you guys want to buy tickets, you, will you subscribe to this thing? Like, no, it wasn't given to anybody, which is why it's so weird, but we finally have in writing fans are responsible for their own conduct. Uh, the following behaviors are prohibited <coughs> behavior that is unruly, disruptive or illegal in nature over intoxication or other signs of alcohol or substance impairment. Let's just stop there. Okay, Steve, both of us were in section 27 of uh, Taylor Field. Um, I can confirm that section 27, section 28, the university section at Old Taylor Field, uh, lots of that stuff was happening. Everybody would have been kicked out. There would have been no fans in those sections. Offensive language or obscene gestures, including the use of such language um, concerning a person's race, ancestry, place of origin, color, ethnic origin, citizenship, religion, gender, gender, sexual orientation, age, or disability. Okay, yes, obviously, you go too far, you should yeah. get kicked out of the game anyway. But if I can't tell, you know, yell out, Al Bradbury, you suck, you blank, blankety blank. If I can't yell that, well, come on, then, then why are you employing this guy? If I can't swear at a player, what are, what are we doing here? But yeah, like, I mean, within reason, of course, right? <laughs> like, there, there's cre- you can be creative with it and, and have fun. But basically what this is, is we agree to these terms and conditions when we buy a ticket anyway. Like they're in the fine print. Like you just basically can't be a jerk off. Everything, everything, like you said, everything in here is basically on the fine print of your ticket anyway. They may as well also put it on there that you will be charged $8 a uh, beer because that's exactly what's happening already. (laughs) Like that is, that is the, literally the price of admission already. We're getting a discount on beer. Okay. $9 a beer. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I didn't get my ten dollar coupon because I didn't go to the uh, to the uh, preseason game. But that's beside the point. Speaking of beer, I found out that Churchill is going to be uh, the craft beer uh, rep at the next game. Excellent. Yeah, they're rotating him through. There's, I, I've heard stories about that. But anyway, uh, so, but I digress. So yeah, like th- this is basically already a part of the game anyway. Why this was a part of the CFL. PA CFL negotiations still blows my mind, but sure, like, okay. Like, does this it's written somewhere you, else now. Yay! Like, does this mean if you tell a player if you're behind the visitor bench, hey, number fifty-five, you suck? Like, if he's like, ouch, you know that really hurts. He can turn around and get you kicked out because to me that's garbage. I well, mean, if I you're heard- being an asshole to him, then yes, you should be kicked out of the game, and it should be pretty. I mean, there's a line you can't cross, right? And and if you're doing that, then yes, you deserve to get kicked out. But if you can't have some banter or, or tell a guy he sucks, like that's, it's pro sports here, guys. Like I know there's, you know, we could talk about being Darryl. mentally tough and all that kind of stuff. But like, yeah, oh, could you imagine? Henry, he would have gotten, there, there'd been no one at Taylor Field. 
my sign never would have made it in in today's f- fan code of conduct. Well, it probably shouldn't have anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but the, you know what I mean, though. Like, it's just weird that like the, this is what I want to know now. Can can a player get a fan kicked out just for telling him that he sucks? Because if so, that's very NBA ish. And yeah, some of the fans that are go after you know LeBron James and and Russell Westbrook and all that, they do go too far. And that's why they do get kicked out. But come on. Like, well, and that's what I mean. Like how at that point, it's a very much a he said, he said, she said, whatever mentality. Like it's going to be a lot of finger pointing. And I guess, how are they going to police that? And that was always my question is, how are you going to police this? I don't think, I don't think there's an actual answer to this. I, I, maybe I'm wrong here and I'm, you know, making something up in my, in my memory, but I swear somebody either last game, like not this previous game, but the game before tweeted out that they were basically asked to stop beaking at the bench almost immediately. And they were, they were parked right behind the, uh, the visitors bench at mosaic. That, that was two, were, ga- two games ago. I remember yeah. stories about that. So we, we've already started to see this and I'm not shocked, but I mean, that's, part of home field advantage as long as you keep it respectful and you know don't go racist don't go offensive but you know have have fun with players that's that's part of home field advantage like we would, we, we would never get yellow m&m if you couldn't say something stupid to the players right we we had never had uh john cornish trying to moon the sideline if it wasn't for the back and forth between the fans and the players like like I like I said, I get it. People take it too far. There's always going to be those that will. But yeah, it's part of home field advantage. It's but just did you need to put it into a code of conduct. It's did like you said, really it's, part of, it's a part in of the, the CBA. It's a part of the tickets. And it's just weird though. Like I, I've seen a lot of weird fan mix-ups this year with the CFL teams and their fans. Um uh, Steve, you're gonna get kicked. Like when Ottawa, when they went after the flags. Meanwhile, Steve can't get a lightsaber through a uh, portable plastic lightsaber through the gates of Mosaic. But Ottawa walked back to flags because yeah, they started ta- like they forcibly removed some fans with flags, even though their like marketing showed fans with flags. Like, I don't know. Do as I say, not as we market. Exactly. It's really. I don't know. It's just it's it's a strange world we're in right now. Partially due to security, partially due to I guess hurt feelings. Like you said, if you take it too far, I get it. Like by all means, but but that should have always been the case. Yeah, and and you know, fans have always said they wanted to be part of the CBA process. I don't think this is what they meant. <laughs> like yelling "Wally, get off the field" is good. Throwing beer cans at Wally was bad. Like, we all know <laughs> yes. that. Both things happened. One thing was funny. One thing was deathly serious. And look what happened when that when they did that. They took away our beer cans. We had to drink out of cups for a while. Because they treated us like children. Because we behaved like children. Yeah. Fans and stadiums have been able to police themselves since the dawn of stadiums. No part of this is necessary. It's not going to change a thing. 
Long, All right. Can we put the wave in the fan code, code of conduct? Get kicked out. Oh, if there's, yeah, if you start the wave, you're gone. I can't be held responsible for what I do to you if you start the wave in front of me. <laughs> that should be in the CBA. Um, Randy Ambrosi was on uh, um, TSN 1200 radio um, in Ottawa and talked about expansion. He's a bloody just, idiot. It wasn't just a 10 teams. He said the CFL needs to go to 12 teams and it's got to happen soon. They don't have nine solid teams in this league right now. They're not going to get this 10th team in Halifax or anywhere in the Atlantic they want because it's that dream's sorry, but it's over right now. Um, and all of a sudden you want to go 12? Where are you proposing we're going to put these teams? Quebec City? Uh, no, they're holding out for an NHL team. They have an arena sitting there ready for the NHL, ready for the Arizona Coyotes to show up there. And you want to talk about football, like football in Quebec City is big, but you have Laval, Rouge Or there, which have done a phenomenal job of be- becoming part of the community. And you think that they're going to want to have a, you know, a pro team come in and, and basically take all their sponsors away? That's that's a battle that I don't think the CFL wants to get into because they will lose that one to a U sports team and they shouldn't, but that's what's going to happen. On the flip side, how awesome would a, or a uh, Quebec Rouge Noir team be? How, how quickly would Ottawa lose their minds? <laughs> but like, I got two, two things to say about this. Um, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Ed, Hall of Famer Ed, Ed Wills in his book, Ed and Zone's Border Wars, part of the reason why the CFL expanded so fast into the States and the way they did was basically to get the expansion money to keep the league afloat. That's all it was. It was a cash grab and it worked because I guarantee you this league probably would have folded back then if they, if we didn't have Birmingham, if we didn't have Sacramento, if we didn't have Las Vegas. Like if it wasn't for that, this league was probably dead. So maybe that's part of the thinking, but you're right. We don't have nine solid teams. So where are you going to put your 10th? Atlantic is not going to happen. Quebec, like you said, with Laval, yeah, it's a good football market, but there's a reason why the NFL doesn't go into Alabama. Like different, different breed, like different fan base. Like yeah, it's they're football crazy, but I'm sorry, you're not going to uh, outdraw Tuscaloosa with the expansion team in Alabama. It's just that simple. They're not they're not football crazy. They're Laval crazy. There yeah. is a difference. Yeah, they 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 have a certain brand of football they love, and they love that, and they are not coming off of it. So that brings me up to this point, Saskatchewan. You have the Riders. I know they're the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, formerly the Regina Rough Riders. Would you keep them in Regina and maybe throw a team in, in Saskatoon? Have one north, one south. So that somebody brought that up on online. And I was Less like, from you know Saskatoon. In, in, yeah, with gas, gas prices, the way they are, people aren't traveling to games right now. Yeah, they would actually support a team in Saskatoon, which I think it would be great. Honestly, if you could have that Saskatoon-Regina rivalry, I think that'd be awesome. But it's too late now for that to actually happen. This is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. That is not going to change. You think the Riders want something like this to happen? Not a bloody chance. 
Oh, Jerry Jones lost his mind when they put Houston in, in uh, Texas in, in the NFL, and we're and that's a way bigger market than the million people in Saskatchewan alone. Like, it's not good for the, the riders. I, don't get me wrong. Do I think a lot of those Saskatchewan fan, like Saskatoon North fans, whatever you want to call them, state rider fans? Of course they would. It's, it's a part part of the fabric of who they are. Would you maybe get some younger fans? Maybe. I, But I don't think Saskatchewan can house two teams. And I don't think you'd want a million dollars, um, sorry, a million dollars, a million people having a fifth of your league. That's just not the way it should work. Remember what I said about Laval being, or Quebec being Laval fans? Saskatchewan people aren't CFL fans. They're Ryder fans. You're, you're not going to get anywhere near, you know, you think, you think they have bad attendance in Toronto? That's what they would get in Saskatoon. You would get those that don't really care or don't follow the Riders now but want a team? Okay, maybe. But if you're Ryder fans, you're Ryder fans. You're not going to jump ship to some new expansion team. Not in this province. So well, we, can, we, can, we can do the reverse high cats and have the Saskatoon roughs and the Regina riders. No? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, well, we'll see where this comes because I don't know why Randy would even suggest just focus on the teams you have now. I know expansion would be important and, and the fees and all that kind of stuff, the money that they get out of it is important, but this league would, would be this league would be better with ten teams. It would it would help yes. out on travel. It would help on scheduling. It would help with so much other stuff. You just can't wish it into existence. Your best shot was a few years ago with the Atlant with the Atlantic, but you guys needed to nail down a stadium deal before you rolled out everything else. And now the CFL is going to have the Atlantic Schooners announced twice and fail twice, which has to be like a Guinness record. I don't know. I think the Gleibermans might have something to say about that. Oh, Lonnie, I miss you so much. Uh, one more thing I want to get to here um, in the Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. 4-0. And I mean, I think we can all agree that we've figured that they'd be probably at least fighting for top spot in the West this year again, because they're a very good team. They're defending back-to-back Ray Cup champions after all. Everyone's saying Winnipeg looks beatable. Greg, you've said it. I, I ain't scared. Steve, Not even a little you, bit. They don't. They don't worry me at all. Our so offense that, sucks, and we've outscored them. It's. It's not that I'm worried about them. It's the fact that everybody says they look beatable. If they they're so beatable. beatable, how come they're four and zero? Again, like I told you before the show, a lot of luck. The way that game was going against Toronto, if BD didn't shank that and put it in the first row to the left, I think Tro- uh, Toronto would have carried on. They held Winnipeg scoreless completely through the third, and Winnipeg was scrambling to get field goals to stay ahead as, be- as well as they did. Toronto had all the momentum, and they were probably going to go overtime and probably were going to win. Or at least come out with a tie because I don't think Winnipeg was going to score anything but field goals at that point anyway. You, you look barely, at that first game of the year, they, they should have lost to Ottawa. 
They barely Ottawa, beat Ottawa was twice. the better team. They barely beat Ottawa twice. Yeah. Ottawa was the better team by far in week one. Week two, closer to a tie. Last week, they sh- or last night, they should have lost. They just, and these aren't, these aren't top tier teams. I mean, look at what the West is doing to the East so far. The only the loss only team was us against Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. West teams are 11 and one right now against the East. But, you know, the, the good teams find a way to win regardless. And, and yet they the, do, the but they're, they're, they're getting team. lucky. They are getting Calgary's, lucky. Calgary's a good team too. And yes, they look beatable as well, but they're also a per- perfect record as well. So until the, someone actually beats them, they're not beatable. Like you guys, like it's I just happening this week. Oh, I don't know about that. That's a bold, that's bold to me. I would love to see it. Don't get me wrong. Cause the way, the way that uh, Nathan Rourke has been playing, uh, especially the last couple weeks and that whole offense. Spoiler, I'm taking BC this week. They're, <laughs> they're looking really good. And, and right now they should be, you know, top in the power rankings as much as I think power rankings are an absolute joke, but people get up in arms about them. But until somebody beats them, they're not beatable. Like, I just don't, I just don't see like, yes, they're, they, they're, especially their offense was bound to drop off, especially when you lose Darvin Adams, Kenny Lawler, and you replace him with uh, Greg Ellingson, a younger, or a guy who's getting up there in football age. So yes, you were going to have a bit of a drop off there. And then obviously Andrew Harris, like, yes, there was going to be a drop off. They lost uh, um, offensive linemen as well to starter and they're down one there. And, but, but I mean, the defense is basically the same. They've had a little bit of injuries uh, at linebacker, but generally speaking, this is the same team that rolled through the CFL last year. But they're not rolling. Like there's a massive step off. They are not, they don't scare me. Like last year's like, I said the Rise would beat him. I'm like, eh. even I was like, okay, I'm just doing this because I'm, I'm, I'm taking Steve's King Homer title, but this year they don't scare me. Like, this West is going to be weird. It is going well, they, a, a very good team is not making the playoffs out of the West this year. Winnipeg, I mean, they have a tough schedule coming up where they're going to have uh, Calgary for a couple games, and they have BC this week, and then all of a sudden, hey, out of nowhere, we're going to be close to Labor Day, and hopefully the Riders' injury um, problems are behind them at that point, but this, they're, they're still the team to beat. To me, like they're still the class of the CFL, and that just goes to show how average every team is right now. There's not one elite team in this league anymore. There's just not. There's a bunch of okay teams, and there's a couple good teams, and that's it. But everyone says they want parity, but th- th- this is what happens when you get it. No one, no, no one looks great because everyone looks the same, unless you're the East and you all look terrible. I mean, it's really hard to argue with with Alex's a bunch of okay teams when Toronto is currently leading the Eastern Division with a minus forty one point differential, which which is to me that might be the weirdest stat I've ever seen in in standings in my life to be at the top of your division while being outscored by forty one points. Whoever wins is, the East is going to be like nine and nine, maybe even eight and ten. And keep in mind, one of those losses was by one point. How are you minus 41? 
Well, they lost by what forty points to uh, BC the other week. Yeah, yeah BC kind of took the screws to one that one. Yeah, um, there's there's not a single team in the East with a positive point differential, not one. Well, they're one in eleven. Only one team actually scored more points than the other team they played against. So that makes you no. Know, but it just it's I don't know that. I realize it's been a lot of West versus East to start the year and that's going to balance itself out. I, I would hope, but part of me kind of hopes the season ends with a stat like that. Just four teams in the East with all negative point differential and three of them somehow making the playoffs. All right. Uh, really quick uh, rant of the week. And I got it this week, guys. Um, just how Craig Dickinson talks about injuries and it's just, it's the wording. I know it's such a minor minuscule thing to me but for whatever reason it bugs me talked about uh brett lothar today oh what's wrong with brett oh he has a calf no he has two calves he has calves okay he has a calf injury craig okay that's what he has it's still better than the nhl Duke, duke has a hip uh okay but what's wrong with it like tell us like i know this is a whole upper body injury, lower body injury, like you see in the NHL, and you're not going to give out, you know, specifics and whatnot. But come on, it's just oh, he's got a finger. Oh no, he has ten of them. I would hope no. he has a finger. Eight, two thumbs. They're still fingers to me. Hey, I'll show you. They they, 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 call, they call them they call them fingers, but I've never seen them thing. I was just going to make that reference. You can't have one show without a Simpsons reference. Um, longer than usual how does anybody think that that brandon banks touchdown was anything other than a touchdown people are saying that was an interception by uh the defensive back for winnipeg because he was down by contact wrong he was not down by contact and anyone saying that is for it has a 204 area code you have to survive contact and by the time that they hit the ground brandon banks was pulling the ball away from him which means the ball is not secure at the very least, that was a tie ball, which goes automatically to the offense. So therefore, it would have been a touchdown anyway. So everybody complaining that the Argos got gifted something by the CFL, shove off, okay? Because that was the right call. That was a touchdown. I thought it was clear as day. That's a touchdown. I don't know how anybody thought it was an interception. It was like one second from ball in hands to ball in bank's hands like ball in air to ground to to the ball in bank's hands for a touchdown in what world has it ever been possession the moment you touch the ground whether somebody's touching you or not that has never been the case and people keep people keep saying well he had a foot down so so that was possession no the only time a foot down matters is if it's inbounds out of bounds and even still then have still to have survive to. contact with the ground. And Greg's right. The only people that are arguing this are Bombers fans. And they won. Imagine how pissed off they would be if they lost. Like all they you would be to... arguing this till the end of the earth. And they'd be dumb. They'd look dumb doing it. All you have to do is let, let pretend Banks is in there. He go, let, let's say for some reason Banks fell at the five-yard line and that ball was in the air when he fell. And if that guy jumps up, gets the ball, lands, ball falls out. That's just because he landed with the like landed catching the ball, and the ball it doesn't secure it. It's not a catch. 
That's all you need to know. The fact that I tried that, and they called it a hypothetical situation and not relevant. The fact the fact that it landed in Banks's hands and Banks almost dropped it. Caught it between his knees. I know. So, like, it's no difference than the Duke Williams like hacky sacking it to the Alouettes two weeks ago. Same idea, just not as violent. Just it was like three inches off the ground as opposed to six feet in the air that Duke did. It's absolutely asinine that anybody would look at that and call it anything but a touchdown. Period. The best I've, tra- I've, I've tried to look at it from their point of view to see what they're seeing. I don't know if I need to be on some kind of hallucinogen to get it to the right angle because nothing else makes sense. I've watched it probably 50 times. I've tried to slow it down to like half speed to see if it, if it looks like a catch then. At no speed does that look like a, an interception. Well, one of the producers from TSN you, for, for the CFL, he was like, I've been in the truck for what, like almost 20 years, I think he said it was. And he's like, goes, I've never seen a play like that. Both guys played that perfectly. And what do you do? Like, that was a, no, no doubt about it. That was a touchdown. It was played perfectly by both guys. The only difference is Winnipeg just didn't hang on to the ball. He lost control, no, landed with Banks. Now, let's say that that was actually called an interception on the field, which would have been the wrong call. Do you think they would have righted it in uh, when it gets automatically reviewed for being a turnover? Do you think Absolutely. they would have called it a touchdown? 100%. Oof. 100%. I, I, have no, I have no faith in the uh, – I, I honestly have no faith. But the, but the fact that they review every touchdown and still reviewed it a touch, as a touchdown, maybe, I guess. I, all touchdowns are reviewed, all turnovers are reviewed. So I'm trying to picture anybody from command center looking that looking at that and going, Yep, that's a pick. I, I just yeah. don't I I've tried. I really have. Like I try I try to be the unbiased viewer on that one. I hate the bombers, of course I do. But I don't give a damn who wins that game outside of you know standings. I don't care what happens on that play. The game's over. It doesn't matter anymore. Why? I could rant on that one for hours. Bottom line, the uh, the refs on the field got it right, and the league got it right through review. So, yes, that was a touchdown, and uh, all there was to it. The, the uh, best part is they're gonna they're gonna point to some random play that looks nothing like that later in the year, and try and call that one a. See, this is just like ours. All right, well, uh, let's get to this Riders Red Blacks game this upcoming Friday night, 7.30 p.m. Uh, under the lights at Mosaic Stadium, Friday night football. Um, the Red Blacks, they've been close this season to uh, a few wins. Are you guys worried about this game at all? About no. the Red Blacks? No, it's the East. I'm not concerned about the East. Don't get me wrong, this might be the game where they actually put it together and give the Riders an actual run for the money, but the way this defense is playing, I'm not too concerned. It's the offense that's going to probably be a, bit, a little bit iffy. Strangely, I'd be a lot more confident if this game was in Ottawa. They have the worst home record out of any pro sports team I've ever seen. What are they, 2-18, two, two and 18, I think, I read over the last 20 games at home? God-awful. God-awful. Like how? Oh, the East, that's how. But no, that, 
no part of me is worried about how this game goes. There, it might be a tight one. Ottawa's a team on the rise, but they're not there yet. No. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. This, like Greg said, this defense and the way that they're playing, Mazzoli's going to fold under pressure. Like, like he's usually pretty good against the the blitz and and pressure and whatnot, but. I can't see it. Not against this defense. Not when they're as deep as they are, and the amount of pressure that that front four gets, and then all of a sudden you throw in some blitzes on top of that, and you have no idea who's coming, who's going. Like that, they throw so much at you that I can't see them. No, they. Ottawa would have to score twenty-five points to win, and I don't think they're getting to twenty at all. So let's uh, make our picks for the week. Then the only three games this week. Uh, with uh, three teams on the bye. First off, we have a battle of Alberta, Calgary at Edmonton with uh, Trey Ford. We didn't talk about Trey Ford yet. Uh, Canadian quarterbacks 4-0 to start the season. Um, didn't look bad. Didn't look great. I think it went about as, as much as you could expect a, a quarterback making his first start in the CFL, a young guy especially. Um, but it was good to see a Canadian quarterback, another one, uh, succeed there in Edmonton last week. Oh, good story for the uh, for the Elks. Obviously, the Tie Cats. Steinauer, if he, his butt's not warm, it's probably getting there. Because how do you lose to the Elks under Trey Ford, especially with how non impressive Trey Ford looked? Like he didn't look bad, but he didn't look, like you said, not great. They were yeah. running away with that game in the first half, and then they, just they can't stopped. hold a lead. Cannot hold a lead. Like it's it's almost scary how bad the um, tie cats are in the se- in second house. Like it's you, you want to talk about adjustments. The riders made great adjustments. Hamilton apparently doesn't make adjustments or just makes bad ones. Their second halves all year have been you're right garbage. So Calgary at Edmonton, who you guys got? I'm gonna be there. I hope both teams have fun. I'd say a stadium fire, but Steve's going to be there. So I, I fear for his family. Uh, I will go with, I really want the Elks to beat the Stamps, but I know it's not going to happen. Stamps. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's got to be Calgary. Yeah, same. Although, unlike Steve, I, I don't hope that both teams have fun. I hope both teams lose somehow. <laughs> um, Ottawa at the Riders, I think we're all pretty consensus on this one. We're all picking Saskatchewan at home. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and easily by far. they can't see they can't see nods because we're sitting there, both of us. And easily the game of the week, at least on paper, Winnipeg battle of the battle of the the unbeaten teams. Winnipeg four and zero at BC three and zero. Greg, you gave us a spoiler alert already. You're picking BC in this one. Tie game? No, yeah, no, I'm taking BC. No, I'm I'm with Greg on this one. That's I feel dirty saying that. Uh, they. BC looks good. Winnipeg has not. This is Winnipeg's first real test, and they've almost folded under weaker opposition. I think BC wins, and I don't think it's close. Don't get me wrong. I'm very interested to see what that high-priced offense minus Nathan Rourke looks like against that defense, but I still think BC is going to find a way to win. Steve, you say this is Winnipeg's uh, first real test of the of the season. This is BC's first real test of the season, and this is a a young quarterback with 
very little experience, only six, what, five, six starts under his belt right now. Uh, and as great as he's looked this year, this Winnipeg defense, I mean, they're still legit. They're still really good. And Richie Hall always seems to do so well against young quarterbacks. So I'd love to see BC win this game. I really would, especially being at home. But I'm going to go with Winnipeg in this one. I just think the experience is the difference here. See, you say this is BC's first test, but the difference between the two tests is, you know, Winnipeg has been getting a C or D average through the first three games. BC has been running away with every single game. They've looked great. Winnipeg has looked average against those same you know, weaker competition. I, I, part of me thinks you might be right, but I'm not changing my, uh, my vote. I will give BC props though, because last week I, I picked them to get blown out of the water by uh, Ottawa because of the five day thing, not having enough rest, cross country travel going on the road. So it was the exact same thing that the riders faced uh, going into Montreal two weeks ago. And we saw some adversity, BC was behind uh, Ottawa and it looked like Ottawa had all the momentum and BC went and worked, found a way and, and they ended up winning that game. So I do have to give props to them for that because they did face adversity. But again, I'm not sold on Ottawa, especially at home. Like Steve, you said they're two and 18 in the last 20 home games or something like that. It's almost guaranteed win night in Ottawa for every other team. <laughs> but so that's, that's why I'm looking forward to this game the most, because I think, I think either team could win it. It could be a blowout. It could be a close game for either team to to win. So I'm really looking forward to this because this is the first real big, it feels like it's the first big game of the season and it takes until week five for it to happen. Should be a fun one though. Great way to end the week in the CFL. Well, that's going to end the show for us this week here on the Piffles Podcast, of course. Uh, we're brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks to Kathy Festion of Roy LePage Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for, the, for their support to making this show possible. And uh, as always, to Kurt Angle for telling us that we do not suck and raising my confidence level just one more point each and every single week. Piffles Podcast is a proud member of the CFPN, the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, Greg, do you have uh, uh, some tunes for us this week as we uh, say goodbye with Tyler Gilbert? Uh, maybe. Oh, we're out of here? Oh, all right. Yeah, we're done. All right. Well, all right. That was a catch, you people. The goal's behind your mind.